my name's Tyler. I serve as the associate pastor here at Bethany. Um, I, I just love being with you guys. It, it's just the best part of my week, um, mostly because it kind of gets like a little awkward. Like it's just such a, a funny group of people coming together to serve and love God with, with different backgrounds and stuff. And it can just be a little awkward, but that's what I love because you guys are my family and families are never perfect, right? Um, it, Church can be a little weird. It's a weird bunch of people, and if you are new here and you're just visiting, um, I want to welcome you. If you're a little quirky, welcome home. <laughs> it's, it, we're so glad you're here. Um, if you have been with us, uh, you know we have been being uh, set free from all of the crud in our lives that are holding us back from living in the glory of the gospel, okay? So we are going through this series titled Set Free, um, and that's just what we're going after. We're, we're, that is what we are doing. We are trying to find freedom from bondage and freedom into Christ, right? So now, um, so we've looked at being set free from your past, from addictions, from lust, from anger, from destructive thoughts, the, the, the fear of loss, and uh, there's a few more that we went over. And these things that we've gone over, I would think, that most everybody struggles with these things. Everything so far have been almost universal hurts, hang-ups, or habits that all of humanity usually deal with, I would say, on a daily basis, okay? So just as Jesus sets us free from those things, this morning's going to look a little different. There's something even within the church, and more specifically within the church, within the people of the church that Jesus wants to set us free from, and that is religion. That's what we're going to be set free from this morning. Tyler, I think you're saying the wrong word off of your notes. No, religion. So this is going to be tough to think about. This is going to go right to our hearts, and uh, this is going to go, require God to humble us and for him to be on display this morning. So let's just pray together uh, real quick. Lord, we just thank you for being everything that we are not, for being holy, for being righteous, for being so loving and being so gracious to us. And this morning we are, we are humbled because you're so mighty and, and you love us in such extreme ways, in ways that we don't even know. Lord, I pray this morning that you are on display, not Tyler, but you and your word are on display this morning. We love you, and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you could open up your Bibles to uh, the book of Romans, uh, we're going to be in chapter 3, and if you don't have a Bible or if you want to give it a read, there's a, a few Bibles kind of underneath some seats, underneath the one in front of you, beside you. I want you to take that one and, and read it. Uh, we want to give you that Bible. Um, we are going to be reading from uh, the ESV translation today, otherwise known as the Extra Saved Version. Um, just kidding, that's English Standard Version. That's not what it stands for. Okay, so before we read the passage for today, I just want to look at what religion is. Okay, we're going to spend a few minutes on that, and then we're going to get back to the passage. Because we can say religion, but you, you may not be thinking about it the same way I'm thinking about it when we say the same word. First of all, religion is, it's a neutral word, okay? So it means whatever the context around it is implying, right? Because there's thousands of religions. 
think it's estimated like 4,200 religions in the world, you know, and that's not even including denominations. So none are the same. They're, they're all different. So when I say we need to be set free from religion, I'm referring to a form of religion that you and I can be so used to in our modern church today, as well as in other religions too, and that is works-based religion. Works-based religion. If I do this good deed or if I act this way, I will close the gap between me and God. That is works-based religion. It's a man-made attempt to create a path to God. And so biblical Christianity is it's different from works-based religion. Okay? Christianity is a personal relationship with God and doing your life God's way. Okay? So, so works-based religion has taught some of us that certain do's and certain don'ts will help us experience God better or it'll help um, have him accept us more. And it ultimately leaves us hoping that in the end we did enough to get on God's good side. Earlier this summer, we took a group of students to summer camp, and it was awesome. And the pastor there he was, uh, that was sharing every day, there's like a campus pastor there. His name was Alex Hamaya. And in a book he wrote, he, he shares this concerning religion, and it's, it's so good. He says, religion is pride. It's a human being or a group of human beings looking at the distance between them and God and then saying, I can right this wrong. In other words, they believe there are ways they can be good enough by filling their lives with love, purity, acts of kindness, social justice, etc., to earn God's favor. Ultimately, all of these little paths are arrogance because they are saying, I can fix that. But when you get away from all the teachings, all of the preaching, all of the performers, and when you just read the Bible, you'll find one clear message. It's not about you being good enough. It's about God being enough. Works-based religion does not work with Jesus. It doesn't. I want you to think of it like this. Um, back in the 1950s, they, they introduced the, the instant cake mix, right? Much like the mug cakes that we're, we're, we're going to be buying a bunch of for these students, right? Um, so it's this instant cake mix, and, and the cake mix includes like dry eggs, dry milk, and all you had to do was just add water, right? And you would think that these things would sell like hotcakes, right? That was a pun right there. If you, just, if you missed that, I'm bringing you to my level, okay? So, but the, they didn't sell like hotcakes. Uh, the crazy thing is that they didn't sell as they thought they would. Even Miss Betty Crocker herself couldn't convince everybody to buy these instant cake mixes. So General Mills brought in a team of psychologists, and they came to the conclusion that the reason nobody was buying these cakes was because people thought it was too easy. They, they thought it was too good to be true. They believed, um, the, the psychologist said um, that the housewives of the day thought that they, they weren't making the cake well enough. They weren't doing their job well enough or something. Like it was too much of a cop-out 
to, to just add water to the cake. So the creative team said, let's, let's make them add an egg. And so they did that, and they marketed it as such, and it worked. It's crazy. People started buying the cake mix because they had to add an egg. They thought they were actually making it themselves by adding the egg, right? And so them adding eggs to the recipe reminds me of how we can so easily see the gospel and think, that is too good to be true. It sounds way too easy, too much like a cop-out. Even though the Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith, it is the gift of God, not of works. We feel like there's something that we have to add to it. Something that we have to add to God's recipe for salvation. Maybe a little good deeds. Maybe I need to go to church more. Again, works-based religion does not work with Jesus. So let's get back to the passage at hand. What I want to do is look at the theology of works-based religion and just kind of dissect it a little bit. So let's get back to Romans 3. Starting in verse 9, uh, it reads this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Okay, let's stop right there. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. Uh, This guy knows a thing or two about religion. Okay, before his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, Paul was like, a Jewish mastermind. He, he knew the law of the Old Testament like the back of his hand, okay? So did any of you kind of like grow up having uh, an album or a set of albums of music where you just knew every single word to those songs? Yeah? No, but okay. I, I see some not. Or like it's maybe, okay, it's a show or a movie that you can quote at any given moment, and it's kind of annoying because you always quote this movie. It, in your, it's, it just comes off the tongue, right? So Paul, he he didn't have these things, but he, he had the law. He had it in his mind. He could quote it. He could could do the law really well. Paul refers to himself as the, the Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning if there's anyone that understood the Old Testament and living it out word by word, it was him. And so Paul starts off this passage by saying, what then, are we Jews any better off? He says, no, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, meaning um, he's saying, I'm just going to lay this out there as a preface that what I'm about to say, that Jews and Greeks, everybody, I'm just going to preface this with everybody's under sin. He just wants to put that out there. The religious people, the non-religious people, he goes on to say uh, these really encouraging words, not really, it's sort of grim. Um, he, He says this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. He's talking about people. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps or uh, serpents is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths 
are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Let's pay attention to this part right here. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So it says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And if you're new to, to this and you don't know really what I mean when I say the law, I'm talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, and these books are specific laws, specific commands, there's religious duties, there's sacrifices that need to, to happen uh, in order for the God's people to worship and to remain in right standing with God. And all of these things that God's people did would be done in order to point forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, like, I have the law. I, I know the law. Paul would even say that the law, it's purposeful. It's a good thing. Have you ever thought of the law as a good thing? It is good because it shows how far we've gone astray. It says it right there. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. It shows the depth of our sin. But he says, following the rules will not save you. It says, we all have sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we know how much we fall short because we have the Torah, which displays a righteousness that no human can reach. Since these things are true, he's saying, we need someone who is able to display the righteousness of the law perfectly on our behalf. So Paul is saying, your religion, although it looks good on the outside, will not save you. Only Jesus can, because only Jesus is able to live out the, the law because he was perfect even before Jesus came to the earth. Paul says that even Abraham and his offspring were justified, okay? They obtained justification even before Jesus went to the cross, not because of their works, Paul says, but because of their faith, because they had faith in God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus affirms that the law is essential. He's not getting rid of it. He's not changing it. He's not adding to it. He is fulfilling it for you. He followed all of the rules perfectly so, so we didn't have to make a fool out of ourselves trying to do it on our own. He lived this perfect life, and he, he could have followed the law completely, right? And, and he could have went on his merry way back to heaven called it a day, but that's not the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is that he came, he lived that perfect life, he did what the law commanded, but he completed what the law commanded by going to the cross, 
because he knew and God's word demanded that there ought to be a sacrifice. So Jesus went to a splintered and bloody cross so we didn't have to. And so what I know for us right now is that there's some of us in this room that you think you have to get your act together in order to come to Jesus. You've got to clean up your mess of a life so you can be spotless when you come to Jesus. My friend, you can't. You can try, but you can't, and you shouldn't. If you think following every rule in the Bible is going to fix you, you will never succeed. You, if you think uh, following every rule in the Bible is going to give you a perfect life, you will never get it. If you think following every rule in the Bible is going to make you a better person, you're going to be lying to yourself every step of the way. If you think legalism is going to make your family this perfect bunch of Christians, it won't. See, at the core of the issue, it's all about the posture of our hearts. When we read scripture and it is calling us to live a certain way, are we seeing it as a have to or are we seeing it as a get to? Am I living out my faith so that I can be this or I can be seen as that or obtain this blessing? See, when we know Jesus, like really know Jesus, when he is personal and in our lives, and by the way, he is, he is not far from you. He is close and he is personal in our lives. When we know him and we walk through life with him, the things that he wants for us, that he says is best for us, it should be an honor for us to do. It is not about us in our way anymore, but Jesus in his way. So we must acknowledge that God's way is the only way. We have to put an end to our self-trust and realize that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. We need to take our focus from, I am doing all these good deeds so that I can get into heaven and turn them into, I am doing all these good deeds and following him and being faithful to him because Jesus saved me. Because Jesus lives inside of me. He is walking me through this life. If we live in a so-that mentality, we will always fall short. We will never experience what true grace is. We will drive ourselves crazy. We'll beat ourselves down. When we keep falling, we will always come up feeling empty inside. And there are some of us right now that are trying to live like that. And we have to stop trying to earn our way. There's also some of us in here that don't want to have much to do with Jesus at all because you were hurt by this type of living. You were pushed away from your family or the people that you loved the most. You, you couldn't live up to their standards so you felt like an outcast, right? Maybe, maybe you were hurt by a church. And when you think of church, the words compassion and loving are words that would never come to your mind. 
A lot of us have had bad experiences with churches. My friend, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've been hurt by a church or people in a church. Maybe you've never understood what grace meant because you've always been told that you have to just be a better person, just be a better athlete, just be a better student, be a better Christian. Why can't you just be a better follower of Jesus? Maybe you grew up in a faith background that just wasn't a loving Christian home. Maybe it was another religion or a different worldview. See, we have to know that our works cannot save us. It says, for by his grace, by his grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. By grace, it is not your doing, it is a gift. A lot of people in our church want to add to that recipe. But you simply cannot. A lot of other religions want to add to that recipe. For example, in uh, the Book of Mormon, okay, in, in Mormon thought, 2 Nephi 25, 23 says, for by grace we have been saved, and then it goes on to say, after all we can do. For by grace we are saved after all we can do. So we do, and then grace. We do 10% and then 90% grace. Or in like Islam, it's grace and works, both working. It's not grace and works. It's not works and no grace. It is all grace. Jesus says, only my grace works. Your works do not. And so the next verse after our passage in Romans, after saying that no one is righteous, all have sinned, uh, that no human will achieve justification by works of the law, after all of these things we read this. But now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, again, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his what? His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I don't want works-based religion anymore. I want grace-based religion. Our God is so good. His grace is so unmeasurable. He sees you as you are, and he says, I want you. Not the cleaned-up version of you. 
I want your brokenness, your, your awkwardness, I want that. Your insecurity, I want that. He will work in you and through you in those areas of your life. You have no reason nor any way to clean yourself up before a holy God. If I asked you right now on a scale of 1 to 10, how much you think God accepts you as you are today, just as you are, One being not at all, ten being fully accepted by God. What would your number be? If I'm being honest, my first number I thought of was not ten. And I think a lot of us would think that too. But if our number is not ten, there's an issue. There's a problem. We think about all the things we've done, how broken we are, how many times we've messed up. Religion is deceiving because it makes us believe how many times we've messed up. And it makes us believe that because of what we've done, because of what we've been through, we are insufficient in the eyes of Jesus. But we need to realize is that God accepts us 100% of the time. You are all tens in his eyes. You are all tens. When we know this and we engrave this in our hearts, we will be set free from relying on our man-made attempts to God and start living in the grace and start living in the love that Jesus always intended for us to have. The worship team could come up and um, if you could turn the lights down, A lot of the time we come into church, we'll hear the gospel, we'll give it a nod. Then we go back to our weekly routine, and it's just that easy to compartmentalize the gospel into our lives. But what we want here, though, like right now, is a time, we want a moment of just response of just knowing that God is so good, that he is so close, and he wants to be present in every single area of your life. And so for some of us, this might be a time of exchanging your works-based religion for his grace right now. Saying, I have tried too many times, I've failed too many times, saying, Lord, I can't, I can't but you can. Lord, I have the faith that you can. I want to exchange my works for your grace. Maybe that needs to be your prayer right now. For some of us, we need the healing from past pains and hurts from religion. We've been judged, we've been ridiculed, we've been hated, we've been thrown out from people that are supposed to love like Jesus loved. We need healing from those experiences. And for you, I would say, tell the Lord that you, that he is the one that loves perfectly. Saying, Lord, you are the one that went through thick and thin to bring me home. Lord, I need you to heal my heart so I can trust 
your family. So I want to exchange my hurts for your kingdom, for your rule in my life. So I can be a part of your church, be a part of your family again. Our religion doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. He can and he did. And if you need any prayer, if you need anything at all, I would love to pray with you. I'll be sitting up here. Um, Jeremy will be over there in that corner. Tom will be in that corner. Um, I don't want this time to go by wasted for you guys. I've wasted so many moments where I can respond to the gospel. I don't want you guys to do that. Let's respond together. Let's worship him together.